This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When I was a teenager, I lived in a small town located about 30 miles south of Atlanta, Georgia. I didn't get my driver's license or my first car until I was about 20 years old. So between the ages of 16 and 19, I hitchhiked frequently. This was in the early 70s when people still hitchhiked and many drivers were still willing to pick people up in spite of the dangers and risks posed to both the driver and rider. For the most part, I never had any trouble with people who offered me rides, but occasionally, I would get picked up by someone who would totally creep me out. This is a story about one creepy ride I accepted, and how 25 years later, I would discover my great shock that I may have been much luckier at the time than I had ever imagined. This incident occurred sometime in the summer of 1974 when I was 17 years old. At the time, I was six foot tall, 175 pounds, blonde hair, and a blue-eyed guy who did not have any trouble connecting with girls for dates. In fact, my story begins with me standing on the side of the highway with my thumb out as I was trying to get back home after spending the weekend with my girlfriend who lived in downtown Atlanta. I was traveling south away from the city and out in the country where I lived with my parents. I recall that I only had my thumb out for about 15 minutes when a man in a big white Lincoln Town car pulled over. As I walked up to the car, I scanned the inside and looked at the driver, trying to size the situation up as I always did, just to be safe. What I saw was a tidy car with a man in the driver's seat who looked to be in his 30s or mid-40s, dressed in an expensive suit and tie. He had short black hair, wore black-rimmed eyeglasses, and appeared to be on the thin side with a gaunt face and dark eyes. I never learned his name, but for the sake of this story, we'll call him Town Car Man. When I got to the passenger side of the car, I leaned down towards the open window and told him where I was heading to and asked him if he was going that far, to which he replied yes in a very soft voice and waved me into the car. I was not all that weary of him, as by all appearances, he was just an ordinary middle-class businessman, and I opened the door and got in the front seat next to him without any hesitation. Generally, when I accepted rides from strangers while hitchhiking, I liked to try to be engaged in chat some sort of way to pay them for the ride 
by providing good conversation and also put them at ease about picking me up and showing them that I'm harmless and not a creep. However, when I began trying to chat with town car man in a normal fashion with typical small talk, I instantly started getting bad vibes from him as I could tell that he was mostly ignoring what I was saying and instead kept trying to steer the conversation towards asking me personal questions about myself, such as how old was I, where I went to school, if I had a girlfriend, etc. I tried to answer his questions politely as possible without really giving too much information, but town car man kept getting more and more personal asking questions that hinted at whether or not I was sexually active with my girlfriend, telling me that when he was my age, he went around horny about half the time, and that he had always been on the lookout for sexual adventures, and then he gave off this creepy laugh. (laughs) As the ride progressed, and we were going further and further out into the country, I began to feel very uneasy as I started to sense that something was not quite right with him. We had just left the populated city behind and were now traveling down an old two-lane highway through the countryside that was sparsely populated. There seemed to be hardly any other cars on the road. The more that town car man continued to ask me questions about myself, wanting to know very personal things about me, like if I had ever had sex with my girlfriend, all while glancing over at me from time to time with a sort of creepy knowing look in his eye as if he was privately enjoying some dirty secret that only he knew about. It was then I became increasingly uncomfortable. I really don't know how to describe it. It just made me feel really uneasy as his manner seemed very cagey and I totally sensed that there was some underlying motive to his questioning. It really put me on guard. I began to think about what I should do next. Should I ask him to pull over and let me out, even though I was only about halfway to my destination and out in the middle of nowhere? For the first time in my life, I began to realize just how vulnerable I felt. What really made me start to feel uneasy was when he started asking me if I wanted a drink of liquor, indicating that he had several bottles with him in the trunk and that if I wanted some, he would pull over to the side of the road and mix me up a stiff drink. Because I was growing more and more uncomfortable, I declined his offer, saying that I did not drink, which was a lie, even at that age. I was already drinking with friends. But that's when he would not take no for an answer and kept insisting that I should really just have one drink because he was such a great drink mixer and it would only take a minute for him to fix a very special one for me. After I declined this offer, for something like the fourth time, he abruptly changed tactics again and began telling me a story about when he was my age and a young guy in the army and how he used to hitchhike a lot too. He said he would sometimes get picked up by men who wanted to pay him money to have sex with them and if anything like that has ever happened to me, By this time, I had quite enough of all of this, and I looked him straight in the eye and said, no, this has never happened to me, and nobody better offer me that. Instantly, that knowing look I talked about vanished instantly from his face, and I could tell that he was totally irked by how I reacted to his story, 
That exchange between us totally changed the mood inside the car, and he became very quiet. After a few minutes of this uneasy silence, he spoke up and told me that he was turning at the next intersection and that I would need to get out of the car. At this point, I was actually very relieved and couldn't wait to get out of the car. When the car came to a stop, I had just barely gotten out the car and pushed the door closed when he stepped on the gas and zoomed off, literally jerking the handle of the car out of my hand. I remember I stood there watching him drive away until he had disappeared down the road and that my heart was beating very fast. After I had calmed down, I resumed hitchhiking until I got another ride that took me home without further incident. Fast forward 25 years. It's 1999 and I had all but forgotten about my creepy ride with Town Car Man. I'm on the internet reading through a true crime website when I stumble onto a story about an ultra-creepy guy named Robert Bennett, a man who had been arrested after a series of vicious attacks on men who he had picked up, drugged, handcuffed, and then set their genitals on fire with flammable liquid. The attacks took place over a 20-year period, starting around 1968 in the Atlanta area and ending with his arrest in 1991. Prior to Bennett's arrest, this attacker became known as the Handcuff Man, and talk within the local gay community was that he was targeting men whom he thought were gay prostitutes. When I saw the photo of Bennett that accompanied the article, my jaw literally dropped open, and the memories of my ride that day in 1974 came flooding back. I was certain I was looking at a picture of Town Car Man, and I was absolutely floored. I don't have any way to prove that the creepy guy who picked me up was in fact this Robert Bennett, but the physical resemblance between what I remember about Town Car Man and the photo of Bennett is absolutely uncanny. Also, the persistent offer by Town Car Man to mix me a special drink and his questions about whether or not I have had sex with men for money also seems to indicate that possibility. This happened when my dad was 16, all the way back in 1976. Him and my uncle Nigel were very outgoing and liked to explore to keep themselves occupied. When the summer of 76 came around and my dad finished school, he wanted to do one big bit of adventuring before he began work. For those who don't know, the Penine Way is a 270 mile walkway depending on which way you walk. It starts just south of Scotland and basically cuts through the middle of England and finishes in the Midlands. It usually takes around three to four weeks to walk, so with a long summer to fill, my dad, 15-year-old Uncle Nigel, and my dad's friend Russ were dropped off in Scotland by my great-grandfather to begin their hike. The first week went swimmingly. They met some nice locals who even cooked for them and gave them a room to sleep in, and generally enjoyed the whole new level of freedom and trusted upon them. They mainly camped in clear areas, but one day, they decided to cover an extra five miles in order to reach a village as they needed to go buy some more food and get spare tent pegs. 
They stumbled into a village around 6 p.m. and saw that the local pub was opening. After relaxing in the pub with some drinks, the owner offered to let the guys camp out in the backfield of their pub. The wife of the owner seemed oddly hesitant at first, looking a bit concerned and having a bit of word with her husband in private. However, Yorkshire hospitality seemed to override any doubt she had, and after a night of heavy drinking with the locals, they resided to their tent. My dad said they were using an oil lantern hooked to the center of the tent as a light source, and when they turned it off, they left it hanging, which is important for not only what happened next, but what also happened the next day. My dad woke up and turned on the oil light while debating getting up to piss in the field when he suddenly heard a door creak open and creak shut. After a few seconds, however, the sound of feet landing on grass became progressively audible until they stopped right outside the tent. My dad thought it was just the owner checking up on us, and as he went to unzip the tent, the owner fully unzipped it. My dad said the weird thing about this was that he didn't have a shirt on, just some slippers and night trousers. After my dad asked what he was doing, he strutted out some excuse about hearing a growl and wanted to check if the boys were okay and safe before looking around. There was no growl, as the only sound in the last five minutes was the door, the footsteps, and the unzipping of the tent. The guy weirdly emphasized the need for a good sleep before hiking and intrusively tapped the oil light asking for it to be turned off. The owner then walked off, letting off a frustrated sigh when nearing the house and closed the door behind him. Morning comes and the owner's wife makes the boys some breakfast while they pack up their stuff. The owner takes down the tent for them and takes off somewhere in his 4x4 without coming back in the house. They thank the woman and tell her to thank her husband. She says she will when she figures out when he comes back as he left early in that morning. They come to their designated camping spot just next to a small stream around an hour and a half early and decide to have a longer rest after walking around 140 miles over the last eight to nine days. They pull out the tent and find lots of small holes. Everyone looks confused and my dad rationalized this by the man telling him about the animal last night. It must have came back and nibbled on the tent and that's what he explains to the guys. Russ then suggests they walk to a different village around two miles back and they try to get another tent. They leave the now useless tent as a marker for their site and walk back to the village. To their luck, a shop clearly targeting walkers is open. Unfortunately, they didn't have any tents, but they decide to buy tape and cover the holes for tonight and hope to find a new tent somewhere soon. When walking back, the sun had begun to set and it was quite dark. Moonlight mainly guided them back down the path. When they returned to their site, they couldn't believe it. Their tent was set up for them, but it was on fire, completely engulfed in flames. They threw the water in their bottles over the tent and used the stream water to fill them and eventually douse the flame. 
When they looked inside the tent, their oil lamp glass had been smashed. Someone had followed them, set up their tent, and waited for them to return before smashing the oil lamp and in turn lighting up the tent in flames. My dad told me there really isn't an explanation except from the pub owner. He stopped doing whatever he was planning on doing because my dad was awake and decided to take up some fucked up form of revenge by sending a message. At first I totally didn't believe my dad and thought he was trying to scare me, but my uncle Nigel is adamant that this story is true, and my uncle Nigel doesn't lie. From 1975 until 1980, Peter Sutcliffe, aka the Yorkshire Ripper, murdered and attempted to murder countless women. Initially, it seemed Sutcliffe was mainly targeting prostitutes, but then he was basically going for any woman. I was only born in 1984, so by that time, he had already been caught and imprisoned. However, what my mom told me about that time always gives me chills and how close she potentially became one of his victims. So my mom and I are from a city that the Ripper was from and we have both lived here all of our lives. Before the Ripper was caught, the woman of my city lived in a sense of fear. My mom didn't drive back then, so she either walked or went on buses everywhere. She did at times get taxis if it was dark but couldn't always afford them. The taxi drivers were also so vigilant and would walk the woman to their doors and make sure they got into their houses safely. So one day, my mom had been at her mother's house and decided to get the bus back home. I remember her telling me it was about 7 p.m., but it was winter, so it was dark. Buses didn't run as regular in those days, and the bus stop she was waiting at was on a quiet street and no one was around. She said she felt a little on edge, as everyone did at that time, as the Ripper was still at large. So as she waited at the bus stop, she suddenly noticed a red car slowly driving past her, and the man was staring at her as he drove past. Initially, she didn't think much of it, and thought maybe he was looking for somebody. However, she noticed the car circle around and drive past again, and she got a really good look at him this time. He came by again for a third time and started to slow the car down towards the bus stop while staring at my mom. My mom got completely freaked out and ran all the way back to her mother's house in such a state. She felt really shook up by it, and knew something wasn't right. I think she said she still got the bus home, but waited an hour, and there was no sign of him then. It was only a few years later, when Peter Sutcliffe was finally arrested, did my mom realize that it was indeed him who had been driving past her that night. She recognized his face straight away, and when he was arrested, he was driving the same red car my mom had seen him in. It was a relief that he had been caught, but it always gave my mom the chills when she thought about it, as did I. It was only because the Ripper had killed multiple times already and was still at large that made my mom flee. I can't bear to think what could have happened if she didn't run, 
and chances are I would have never been born. This happened to my mother when she was 15 or 16 years old, so it was mid to late 1977 in New Jersey. Anyways, here's the story. Her neighbors two doors down needed a babysitter for a few hours so that they could have a date night as parents rightfully need every so often. Originally, my mother's sister had agreed but for some reason backed out so my mom said she would babysit. So that night, my mother is sitting in the living room watching TV or reading a book or whatever they did in the 70s. The back door was immediately behind the chair in which she was sitting and had a screen door on the outside that was locked. Suddenly, my mother hears the screen door start to shake violently, and I mean violently. Without it being windy or stormy, she knew immediately what was happening. She knew someone was trying to open the locked door. Thinking quickly, she faked a loud and noticeable sneeze and got up to get a tissue. Too afraid to look at the door, she walked as calmly as she could into the kitchen and once out of sight of the back door, grabbed the phone to call her dad as he was only two doors down and knew he would be there much faster than the police. My grandpa was there in a flash with a baseball bat, but by then, there was no one around. It was only with him there that she had the courage to look out the door. The screen was torn and the frame was bent halfway off the tracks. It wouldn't have lasted much longer. My mother rushed home, and my grandpa stayed until the parents came back. Because my mom left, she had no idea whether or not he called the police. I asked her why she faked a sneeze and calmly walked into the kitchen. She said it was because she knew for a fact that whoever was breaking in could see her and she was also afraid that if she looked and saw his face, he would try that much harder to break in and hurt her in order to stop her from calling the police. Sometimes I wonder what would have happened had she not thought so quickly. Maybe it was just a robbery because he obviously knew the parents were gone and because my mom lived two doors down, she had no need to drive, so it looked like no one was home. But even still, He saw my mother and still tried to break in. So I wonder what would have happened if he succeeded. Attempted robber slash murderer, I'm glad you and my mother never met.